Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Big event, Rick. Night four of the Republican convention. We have on the we're on the brink of Donald Trump accepting the nomination second time around. It's it's remarkable when you look at how far this party's moved in four years. You know, I, that convention four years ago was among the most extraordinary things that I was ever part of and ever ever witnessed. Covering that convention, um, seeing the the real angst and tumult on the floor as the party came to grips with the fact that Donald Trump was in fact their nominee. A lot of Republicans privately, even some publicly thought they would lose. Um, you know, Ted Cruz and his vote your conscience moment and you know the, the wild things that happened there. You know, this has been tame by comparison, which is not to say that the things that have been said uh, on stage are at all tame, but Trump's takeover has long since been completed. And this is a distinctly Trumpian event, even if it is different in that um, most of the speeches are, are taped in advance um, and there's no live audience except for the, the keynote speech uh, by, by the vice president last night, by the president tonight. Uh, but this Trump's, Trump is the party. The party is Trump. And uh, the messaging has been all about the uh, the president and uh, and boosting his his chances going into the fall. There's been no signs of Republican dissension, no signs of Republican discord, no signs of policy worries. This is all about Donald Trump. And you usually at a convention have, you know, a sense of the history of the party and what has brought us there. Usually previous nominees or presidents are, are, are part of the agenda. There are uh, there are videos that harken back to the great moments of, of you know, the, the, the party's previous glory uh, and kind of a through line uh, into the present. <laughs> There's been none of this. I mean, I think you and I were talking, Abraham Lincoln has gotten a few mentions, but, um, you know, there's, 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 you know, you would have thought that the Bushes uh, were, were were not had never been part of the party. I've I've barely heard a peep about Ronald Reagan uh, here at this uh, at this convention. To say uh, nothing of John is, McCain or, or, or Mitt know, Romney. Yeah, or, or Mitt Romney. Yeah, remember him? Uh, none of that. None of that. We should, but, we, should but, we should note there's a Romney family member that we we're speaking to on the podcast today. Uh, the, the the chair of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel. Um, is uh, the, the closest that we're going to get to any Romney mention. She's, of course, the niece of the senator from Utah. Yes. Um, we, we, we talked on, on Monday about how the president, uh, in his first convention speech, uh, promised that he was going to bring law and order uh, to, to, to the country and that the, that the violence would stop beginning January 20th, uh, 2017. And here we are uh, four years later, and I, I expect we're going to hear a, um, a, a very similar message. Let's give you a sense of this was what Mike Pence said last night. The violence must stop, whether in Minneapolis, Portland, or Kenosha. Too many heroes have died defending our freedom to see Americans strike each other down. We will have law and order on the streets of this country for every American of every race and creed and color. I mean, that's basically exactly what, you know, minus the reference to every race and creed and color, uh, that, that, that's basically exactly what uh, Donald Trump said four years ago. Uh, back then, the blame for what they saw as lawlessness 
uh, was Barack Obama and, you know, Democrats in the White House. Uh, now it's Democrats that are running the cities. And and this and law and order we've heard about over and over again. And John, I, I just I, watching coverage yesterday um, in in the run up to the convention. It, this is a moment of uh, you know of tumult of chaos. You've got a hurricane uh, battering Louisiana and Texas. You have the the protests, the violence in the streets. You have uh, another black man shot by a, po a police officer. You have pro sports coming to a halt as primarily black athletes leading the charge to saying they don't feel comfortable playing under these circumstances. They want to make that kind of a statement. In some ways, you could say it's a, an existential challenge to Trump as the president. In other ways, it's a moment that's attuned perfectly for Trump because he has used moments where the country is divided against itself to kind of dig in a little bit more. And he's also been a master of taking moments where everything seems chaotic and inserting himself and making it even more so. And that's why uh, one of the big themes you watch for tonight has to be how he handles uh, the, the, the fact that so many Americans are, are scared, scared by what they're seeing, scared by what they're experiencing, uh, the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic. All of these overlapping crises are, are coming to a head on the night of his big speech. Yeah, and, and, and given that everything was taped yesterday, it was just amazing to see those huge events. I mean, yesterday seemed like such a incredible news day, a frightening news day. All the things you mentioned, the unrest in the streets, the fires in California, the massive uh, hurricane on, on, on the Gulf Coast, and, you know, none of it uh, bleeding through to be mentioned except for that line I just played you, which, again, uh, from, from Pence, was 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 a kind of a generic reference to unrest in Kenosha um, and, and elsewhere. Uh, it, it's it's you know we'll see if he if he taps into any of this. We we had asked if uh, the hurricane coming uh, as it is would would result in any changes to the schedule, and uh, we're told possible. So we'll see how how things uh, go with that. And you remember in two thousand eight the Republican convention uh, was truncated because of the uh, uh, hurricane Gustav. In two thousand twelve there was a hurricane. It started, it was threatening Tampa um, just as uh, they, they were preparing uh, for, for the Republican convention there. Uh, so hurricanes uh, have tended to, um, <laughs> to cause problems for recent Republican conventions. It's been, been, been a bad a string of bad luck. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this will be... Um, just such a surreal moment. I don't even know. I'm, I'm, I'm searching for the words because I've, I've seen what they're doing on the South Lawn and the fact that the, uh, that this stage is being, you know, has been constructed on the South Lawn. There's going to be a crowd of, of supporters, of delegates, uh, Republican delegates on the South Lawn as the president gives this speech. And it's, it's like the, the line between the Trump campaign and the Trump White House, the Trump administration has been completely erased. Uh, there, there, there is no distinction. I mean, it, how quaint it was when we used to talk about, you know, Hatch Act violations because uh, a government official, you know, made a comment on a, on, on a race. I mean, now you have, you know, the, a Republican convention taking over uh, the White House. I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I imagine that most people... Most voters probably won't really care that much. Uh, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that they probably assume. You know, that, that that line was never really there to begin with. But it's just somebody who's 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 covered conventions, who's covered White Houses, who's covered campaigns. 
I, I'm, I'm just, I'm frankly blown away by it. And no other president that, that we've covered, John, would even try it, would even think about no, it. It never would have no. been considered. And forget, I mean, leave COVID aside. COVID forced the change of venue, but there are other ways to do this, I mean, as, as we saw by, by Vice President Biden's uh, speech. And, you know, and look, and look, and look, Rick, FDR accepted the nomination in 1940 uh, from the White House. I think it was the diplomatic treaty room, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, our, our listeners. But he, 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 you know, on radio, uh, but I mean... <laughs> It was, it was not like this. No. It was not. And that like was the this. middle of World War II, and it was in well, different yeah. circumstances. You know, that, there was there were, there were different circumstances all around for that. Uh, yeah. But you know, FDR understood the power of that as well. Uh, this is and is this a different kind of? It's a different kind of Rose Garden strategy because we've yes. John G. The, the Rose Garden strategy is you know thinking of the president just being the president and the president just you know running for re-election. Uh, made famous by Nixon, but running for re-election by doing his job and not really engaging on 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 politics. This is almost the opposite of that. I mean, th- this is kind of taking the whole campaign and putting it literally inside the Rose Garden, making making the White House itself and the trappings and even the power of the presidency central to a bid for re-election, using it, uh, using the presidency itself as a tool for re-election, using the federal government in that direction. That's all new. And yeah, it, it doesn't shock the same ways anymore because we've seen so many extraordinary uh, boundaries uh, crossed over the last three and a half years, but it still is a big deal. All right, Rick, let's take a quick break and we will be back with our guest, the chair of the Republican Party, Ronna McDaniel. Joining us now is Ronna McDaniel, the chairperson of the Republican National Committee. Ronna, congratulations on uh, getting almost through the entire convention. One more night to go. Yeah, knock on wood, right? I mean, this has been the craziest year. Obviously, COVID has changed everything. And we had two conventions planned and had to cancel them. And I think it was 80 days we had to put this together. So I feel good. Uh, I feel mostly good about the content and the message we're sharing with the American people. But um, certainly from a logistical standpoint, there have been a a lot of sighs of relief because there were sleepless nights heading into this week for sure. So I wanted to take a flashback, if you don't mind, to four years ago, the president's speech uh, in Cleveland, accepting the nomination the first time. And I wanted to play just just one soundbite, which was really uh, kind of carved, was really a central theme of that speech. Take a listen. I have a message for all of you. The crime and violence that today afflicts our nation will soon, and I mean very soon, come to an end. Beginning on January 20th of 2017, safety will be restored. And, and Ron, now I, I want to play for you something that uh, Kellyanne Conway just said uh, th- this morning um, okay. in, in an interview on, on that same subject. The more chaos and anarchy and vandalism and violence reigns, the better it is for the very clear choice on who's best on public safety and law and order. One of the, so I was in isn't this a tough one for you to navigate as a party, for, for the president to navigate uh, uh, as he seeks re- re-election? I mean, he, he said four years ago 
crime in our streets was a was it was a huge problem and was going to end beginning with his nomination. Now he's been in office four years, uh, and uh, his uh, you know one of his top aides uh, is is saying that the more violence and anarchy and chaos we see on the streets, the better it is for for our campaign. Well, yeah, I. I I think more the point is that you're seeing Democrat-run mayors or Democrat-run cities with Democrat mayors and Democrat governors are not cracking down on violence. And I think it's deeply concerning. And I think the American people recognize the president has vocally said, I will send you resources. I will send you the National Guard. You saw in Oregon, they said, we don't want them here. And so, and I'm going to speak as a suburban mom, it's very troubling to me to see in Kenosha, uh, the leaders of that state, Governor Evers, stand down and let businesses be burnt to the ground and, and seeing the aftermath of, of people crying and saying, this is my grandfather's business, this has been destroyed. Listen, I understand that uh, what happened to George Floyd was horrific. Our whole country grieves for George Floyd. We need to figure out what just happened to Jacob Blake. But burning down cities and destroying the livelihood of these communities is not okay. And where are the Democrat voices in this in this issue? And I think that's the distinction. This isn't good. I would love for it to stop. I, this isn't political. This is just where are the Democrats right now? And I know in my city of Detroit, we have a, a, a police chief in James Craig. He's not a Republican or a Democrat. But I'll tell you what, he's not letting that happen, which means... The mayor of our city is not letting that happen. That's great. You know why? Because I come from a, a state where we had riots in 1967 in Detroit, and our city didn't come back. It destroyed our city for, for decades. My grandpa actually happened to be governor at the time and had to call in the National Guard. So it is alarming to see Democrat leaders systematically stepping down and allowing their cities, their police departments, and, and their communities be burned. Uh, it's time for them to step now, in. You just did something that Vice President Pence did not do in his acceptance speech last night. And in fact, none of the speakers uh, on uh, in the convention so far have done. And, and that was, you mentioned the name Jacob Blake. Why is it uh, that that was something that, that none of the speakers could 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 come to mention. I mean, the 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 world saw, and, and who knows? There's an investigation underway. We'll see what, you know, what 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 comes of it. But the world saw a um, uh, a, a black man shot in the back uh, by by a police officer. Obviously, it's touched off. Uh, I mean, we we, we we I mean, the entire NBA has, has suspended games as 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 a, as a result. Uh, it's something that, that, that shocked the, the country. Why, why is it that nobody at the convention could even make mention of his name? Well, of course we can make mention of Jacob Blake's name, and the president has reached out to the family. But why didn't anybody? Uh, and we nobody all, did. You know, I, I hope that they do tonight. I, I think a lot of it has been pre-taped. You mm -hmm. know, like Michelle Obama didn't mention Kamala Harris, right? right. So because of the virtual nature of many of the, of the speeches, uh, that hasn't been... Um, that wasn't in the news at the time that some of those speeches were taped, but I'm saying it right now as party chair. We want to see uh, the, this investigated. We want to see this seen through. Uh, you know, I have kids. My daughter's on Instagram. She's saying, Mom, what happened? What's going on? Oh, it's devastated by what happened to George Floyd. These are conversations we should be having as Americans. And I think the person who put it best is Jacob Blake's mom, who came out and said, 
my son would not want to see our city be destroyed. Uh, he wouldn't want to see these buildings burned down. So let's please stop. So this is where I think the president and the vice president are saying we have to balance peaceful protests and the things that are happening in this country and this unrest uh, because of concerns that we have. And the, and the first lady certainly addressed that. But we can't let it devolve into rioting and looting and violence and unrest that's destroying communities. Madam Chairman, I wanted to ask about COVID-19 and about the, the optics as well as the realities of uh, the in-person aspects of this convention. As you noted, you had, to, you had to shut down one convention, start to build a new one, and then settle on a, a mostly virtual convention. But the in-person aspects, Fort McHenry last night, um, a couple hundred people were there. I didn't see many masks, maybe one or two. I did not see social distancing. And I also saw the president working the rope line uh, in a more traditional sense. What kind of, what precautions were taken? Were the individuals in the audience tested beforehand? Uh, and what kind of precautions were put in place to make sure that uh, there wasn't any kind of disease spread and that people were practicing what were being told, the rules were being told to follow? So I'm not, and I'll be honest, I'm not completely up to speed on all the precautions that were taken at Fort McHenry. But I, I, will, I know that today I just got tested. I'll be at the White House tonight. I was tested the night that we went into the Rose Garden. Um, every RNC event that we've been, uh, the, the convention we had in Charlotte, we had everyone test before they came to Charlotte. We had everyone test the second they landed. So uh, this is the thing. The White House and the RNC and the, uh, and the president is pushing forward. Um, we have to take the precautions we need to. Wear masks, uh, do social distance take those precautions, but at the same time, we can balance that with being together and continuing to move forward with our lives. And, and Joe Biden and the Democrats have a very elite view of this, which is we can all shut down again. We need to shut down this country. And that works for privileged politicians who can sit in their basement for months on end. And it works for elite celebrities that can stay in their Hollywood mansions. But for everyday Americans, it's just not tenable. Many people are living paycheck to paycheck and they need to find a way to get back to work. And, and the burden this is putting on families, and, and my family's one of them. My kids go to public school, my husband and I both work, and they're gonna be virtual. This is a huge issue that's not being addressed, and I think the president is taking the right tack, which is we're fast-lining therapeutics, we're fast-lining a vaccine, but we're also advising how can we get back to work and to school in a safe and healthy way. And in terms of campaigning, we, we, the president was critical of Joe Biden for not even going to Wisconsin last week. Uh, is it your sense that you know, we come out of this convention and that the, the Trump-Pence campaign is going to hold in-person events? Is that safe? Is that viable? Is that possible? And is that, I mean, to your point, is that is that actually an important message as you see it about how the country can get back to, to normal? I do. I mean, we're, we're all having to go to the grocery store right now, right? I mean, I don't know if you're going to the grocery store. I'm going to the grocery store. I still have to go to the pharmacy. I still have to take my kids to get their physicals. And I mean, it's just not realistic that we can shut down our lives forever. And you know, Joe Biden made this big point of not going to Wisconsin, a state that he chose to have his convention in, yet President Obama flew to Philadelphia, Kamala Harris flew to Delaware. I mean, if it's that unsafe to do things, why can't you just set foot in the state of Wisconsin? He hasn't been there in over two years. Uh, so I think there's really a contrasting vision and, and President Trump's being realistic. Most Americans cannot afford to stop working. We have 33 million people unemployed because of this pandemic. 
we have to start figuring out safe ways for them to get back to work and we can and we can and you know even michigan we just had a primary august 4th a million people came and voted in person there has been no uptick in covid so there dr fauci has said there's no reason why voting in person should create an uptick so i think the democrats aren't following the science when they keep saying we have to shut everything down. We have put precautions in place. I know my husband's done it in his workplace. The RNC's done it in our workplace where we are able to work, create a, a living, and also be healthy and safe. So the other thing Dr. Fauci would say is that when you go to vote, uh, be smart about it, wear a mask. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm wondering, would that, would that be your advice? And also, would that be your advice for those going to see the president as he gets out and does, you know, campaign events such as they are? But we have seen him out with, uh, we saw in North Carolina, you know, crowds at the airport coming out to see him. We obviously saw at Fort McHenry, uh, the, the, the crowds that were there. Would, you, would your advice be, would, your, would you urge uh, those uh, supporters of the president who come out to see him to, um, you know, to be... To be would to do what Dr. Fauci would would, would suggest wear a yeah, mask. Yeah, wear a mask. Social distance. I know in North Carolina at our convention, everyone had masks. Uh, I was in Oshkosh with him at, at an airport rally. If you look at the audience, it was predominantly people wearing masks. I mean, these are the types of things that we should be doing. We're all navigating what we're comfortable with, and certainly people with underlying conditions uh, who are most adversely affected by this need to take these precautions incredibly seriously. Uh, but at the same time, it's just not tenable to shut the country down again. It just doesn't work. And I think it's really uh, interesting that Nancy Pelosi called a session of Congress, brought them back to DC and made them vote on the Postal Service, but didn't do that for a stimulus bill to help these Americans who are still out of work and still suffering. And I think that that uh, is, is is not okay. It's reprehensible that she wouldn't be bringing Congress back to help the American people instead of focusing on making sure uh, that ballots get counted so she can get reelected. I mean, we, we obviously want this election to go well, but why aren't you helping the people who are suffering right now? All right. Uh, RNC chair on a very busy day. Thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to us. Really appreciate it. Uh, Ronna McDaniel, we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you having me. Thanks. Thank you very Thank much. You. Um, I thought it was interesting that, that uh, she was willing to say a name that was not uh, uttered at the, uh, at, at the Republican convention on day three, um, and uh, a name that, uh, that she says she hopes is spoken on day four. But um, it'll be interesting to see if the, if the party takes the advice of their chair. Yeah, and, and we, we did hear a reference to violence on the streets, a lot of references to violence on the streets, particularly Kenosha. We heard the vice president mention Kenosha, but he didn't talk about what the violence was about or what the protests were about. He did, we didn't we didn't get that extra step. It was a much different way of casting this issue. And those words from four years ago, I mean, it's almost astounding how similar the, the words from four years ago yes. could be to what the president says tonight. It's, it's almost uncanny. It is uncanny. I mean, it just, it, they, they could still work this big chunks of this speech. And the way that President Trump navigates this, I think you learn a lot about his reelection chances. If he's able to say those things that are happening here, yes, they're happening in Donald Trump's America, but really they're not my fault. They're the Democrats' fault. And there's a lot of this convention that has been 
that, 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 that the, the awful things that, that have been happening in this country for the last six months, those are outside forces or agitators or bad people or Democrats that are behind them. That's a tough sell running as, as the, an incumbent up for re-election. But, but, she, but she made a point of saying Jacob Blake, <laughs> without me yeah. asking, without yeah. me prompting, frankly. Um, and, uh, and then pointed out that most of the speeches on night three were recorded, which is true. Every single one of them was recorded except for the vice president, but the vice president gave a long speech and he mentioned Kenosha, but he didn't mention what had triggered, uh, the unrest in, in Kenosha, uh, which I thought was, uh, was interesting. And also, uh, we, we heard her say that, uh, that, that, the president's supporters to go out and, and, and see him um, when he gets out there on the campaign trail, such as it is, should be wearing masks. She pointed out, which is true, that those at the convention in, uh, you know, the, the, this convention setup that they had down in, in Charlotte when the president came were by and large wearing masks. But it is also true that those that greeted him at the airport, almost none of them were wearing masks. And it was, it was there was certainly no social distancing. So we'll see. Again, if the if the rank and file takes uh, takes the advice of the chair, uh, but Rick, that is all the time we have for powerhouse politics. We will be back sooner than you can imagine. Susie Liu, Avery Miller, and the entire powerhouse politics team. Thank you very much.